Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Matthew 13, starting in verse 47. This is the last of the kingdom parables, they are called, because they start with the phrase, again, the kingdom of heaven is like, and things like that. And there are seven of them in Matthew. There is one in Mark, making eight total. And so when we come to the end of this, that isn't the end of the teaching of the kingdom of God, but it is just a series of parables that talk about what the end of the age will be like or what the kingdom of God is like. If you recall, you had the mustard seed, which grew into a mighty tree, which mustard seeds normally do not. And Jesus was saying that the kingdom of God had a very small beginning, Jesus himself, and it grew into a worldwide movement like it is today. You have the wheat and the tares where in the world you have evil, unbelieving people right next to believing Christians and God will let the world continue like this until the end of the age. This is a fishing parable. And if you were to go back in the time of Jesus and ask people what their job was, it would be evenly divided. The majority of people, 80% or so, were either a farmer, usually farming wheat and barley, or they were a fisherman as Jesus was doing a ministry up north of the Sea of Galilee. Up there was a higher population of fishermen because the Sea of Galilee being a great place to catch fish. And if you were to talk to a fisherman in the time of Jesus and say, how do you catch fish? There would be one of three answers. There would be the classic hook, line, and sinker. There would be the fishing pole. And they would go out there and they would throw it out and they would catch one fish at a time. Jesus was asked once, uh, did he ever pay taxes? And Jesus told Peter, go catch a fish. Well, Peter didn't use a net or didn't use a boat. He went and got a fishing pole because he only had to catch one fish. And he caught one fish. And lo and behold, there was a coin in the fish's mouth to pay the taxes. I don't know that we should try that. But it did work and was a miracle that we will talk about during the miracle section during that time. And so you could have a fishing pole. The second was uh, a personal net or a single net, a net that a person, single person could use. It would be maybe 10 feet around. It would have weights on it and it would have a pull cord. And a person would walk uh, wade out into the Sea of Galilee, look for a um, school of fish, or be in a boat, and then throw the net over the school of fish, pull the cord, and it would create a bag net, as it were, and then this one person could uh, bring a fish in to that way, 
and then sell them. Most of the people who fished around the Sea of Galilee were commercial. They would try to catch enough fish to sell them. They would try to catch enough fish uh, to have a business about it. When Jesus called James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, they were part of a going concern. They even had uh, servants. They even had helpers. They had hirelings that were helping them catch fish. So the family business was so successful, they were able to hire people and make it a very large going concern. The third is called a dragnet, and it's called a dragnet because it drags along the bottom of the ocean. These nets would be rectangular. They would be up to a half mile long. You would have two ships uh, a half mile apart. They would throw the net into the water, and there would be floats on top and weights on the bottom, and it would cover the entire depth of the water. They would then drag it toward the shore, and then when it was full, the two ships would come together. They would bring this onto the shore, and they would divide up the fish because this sort of thing would catch everything from old shoes to, you know, things that fell overboard, clothing, as well as fish because it would catch anything in its path. There used to be a TV show called... Uh, called Dragnet, and it was about Los Angeles um, law and order, and it was called a Dragnet because in every episode they would find somebody. They would know this guy did it, but they couldn't find him. This guy did it, but they didn't know where he was, and so the police, the Los Angeles police, would then start at one end and just sweep through the city until they caught the guy because they would create sort of a Dragnet like this. And so in this parable, it is a dragnet. It is a large net. And the parable is very simple, that a, a fisherman or a pair of fishermen use this large net to catch every kind of fish and everything else that was in their way. And when they got to the shore, it would take many hours and many people to sort through the hundreds of fish and the good ones were put into containers to be sold. And the bad ones were thrown into, uh, in this parable, the fiery furnace or the trash they were gotten rid of. And then Jesus, in this parable, actually uh, tells us what it means. He says, so this is why it is about the kingdom of God. At the end of the age, and the end of the age is a, is a theme throughout Scripture uh, the Christians, we believe that time is linear, that it had a beginning, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, there's a beginning. And at the end is when Jesus Christ returns. For the second time, Jesus Christ comes and sets up his kingdom. There are philosophies and religions in the world, your Hindus, your Buddhists, who believe that Time is circular, that you keep going and doing life over and over and over again, and there's no end. Scripture is very clear that there is a beginning, there is a middle that we are in now, and then there is an end, an end of the age, an end of time, an end of 
everything that we know, and that is the return of Jesus Christ. And he says that angels will be dispatched, angels will be sent out, and they will separate the good from the bad, the righteous from the evil, and the good, the righteous, will be allowed into heaven, and the unrighteous or the evil will be sent to a fiery furnace. And so this is a uh, kind of a view as to how the end of time will be. There will be a time in which Jesus Christ will return. Uh, we believe that there is a seven-year period that we call the Great Tribulation. During this Great Tribulation, somebody that we call the Antichrist will come to world power. He will be the world leader. And various things will go on, various uh, punishments will go on during this great tribulation. There will be two witnesses who will witness to the people in Jerusalem. Things like this that we can piece together from the book of Revelation. And this is the end of time when this is all over at the end of this tribulation. There will be a judgment and the judgment will be of Jesus Christ dividing the fish, dividing the people between those who are righteous and those who are unrighteous or evil. This is a similar uh, parable to the wheat and the tares. As I said, the wheat and the tares is that both types of people, righteous and evil people, are living together. And we are today. The world is all mixed up in that regard. The Christians do not all live over here, and the unsaved people all live over here. We all live together, and your neighbors could be saved or unsaved, and we do not, and you know, you don't know unless you ask them. You've got to knock on their door and say, invite you to church. And they go, no, I go to this other church. And so that you have a brother or a sister in Christ. And so at the end of time, angels or reapers will come, and they will collect all the people, and the weeds, or the unsaved people, will be thrown into the fiery furnace, and the saved people will go to heaven. Now, if you read through Scripture from the very beginning, through all the Psalms, all the way to the end, the Bible does talk about hell and heaven being literal, physical places. We do not know how they exist or where they exist. Some people have said, well, they're another planet. Okay, well, maybe they're another planet. Some people have said they're another dimension. That, you know, heaven is right over there, but you can't see it because it's in another dimension. Uh, we do not know. We have, uh, as, as far as we can, really examined this rock we call Earth. And there is no place where people are living underground, okay? There is no hell under the earth. Now, if you take the word hell, hell is a Greek word. Hell is a Greek word that means place of the dead. Hades is a Latin word. Latin word that means place of the dead. Sheol is a Hebrew word that means Place of the dead. If you go through the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, it talks about Sheol. And if you read through the Bible, you take the mentions of hell or a bad judgment, 
and compare them to the good judgment, and you will have, some people have said, as many as three to one hell versus heaven statements. Some people say five to one or ten to one if you take the illusions that the Bible is much more about teaching you the penalties of wrong belief, the penalties of not believing in Jesus Christ. And people all the way back to the early church fathers have speculated as to why this is, speculated why did God give us that message. And some people have said, well, we can relate to hell because there is hell on earth. There was concentration camps and there was Auschwitz and there was, you know, great evil people who did great evil to people on this earth. And we can say, well, God's judgment is that times 10 or something. We can actually understand evil because people of this earth are a very evil people, are a very uh, desperately wicked, we would say, people who are against God. And so there is that understanding, while if you read a story about absolute true righteousness, about how your ability to sin will be removed in heaven, which it will be, you cannot imagine that. That is something that you're going to go, well, that's nice, but I cannot imagine that. Another reason may be, it doesn't matter what heaven is like. If you're there, you will have eternity to figure it out and to figure out how it works and to figure out where all the roads go and all the, you know, you will have a time of great love and peace and joy to figure out heaven. And so it doesn't matter if we understand heaven, there will be time. But I think it is important for us to understand hell because that is one aspect of what we're being saved from. We are being saved location-wise from the fiery pits of hell. And hell is always described as a fire. It is always described as a place where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. And so understanding what the Bible says about judgment. Now, I've been told, I was told this in seminary, that we do not sell Jesus as fire insurance. Okay, but... We kind of do. We kind of say, if you accept Jesus, you'll be saved from that and you'll gain this. I don't understand this a lot, but I sure understand that a lot. And so you'll be saved from it. You're saved from the wrath of God. You're saved from your sins. You're saved from a lot of things. And you're saved to heaven. And I think that that is something that we can put in a testimony, in a presentation of the gospel, that if people today, there's two basic views. There are those who say God is love and only love. God is only love. Therefore, I can do anything I want. I can live like the devil. I can do anything I want, and God will say, ah, that's okay, come into heaven. 
Everybody gets into heaven. That's called universalism. Universalism does not exist anywhere in the Bible. It is a heresy. It is wrong. But it gives people peace to know that they can do whatever they want and they can make it into heaven. There's the other view that, well, God doesn't exist. And if God doesn't exist, then a physical place like heaven or a physical place like hell cannot exist. And if those things don't exist, then I can live however I want because it's meaningless. If you believe in evolution and you believe that God is not involved at all in creation, then your life is meaningless. Your life has no purpose beyond this life so you can do whatever you want. And there are various other religions. Your Muslims believe that God is vengeful to a fault. He hates humanity and he's going to work it out that way. And so you've got to do all sorts of works to get Allah's attention. You have your Hindus who believe that there's 300 million gods and so you can pick one. You know, there's as many gods as there are people in the United States and you can pick one and worship that one and if that one likes you, then you get to go to heaven. And so there's all sorts of ideas. If you've studied world religions, the only one that makes sense that really you can hold this up as a lens against the world and it matches perfectly. This Bible predicts what we're currently going through, the shrinking churches, the hate of Christians, the belief that Christians are the cause of, I've heard this, that Christians, because we, we gather together so randomly like this, that we are the cause of COVID-19, that our little gatherings have caused the Delta variant to expand, and people are actually saying that and encouraging our governor to shut down churches again. Fortunately, the Supreme Court has said, uh, no, you cannot do that. So he no longer has the, that is no longer part of his menu of things he can do because the Supreme Court stood against him. And so if we think about hell and the final judgment, there is something we need to understand. Every single person, from Adam and Eve on, Adam and Eve were the first people. Then they had Cain and Abel, then Cain killed Abel, then they had Seth, and then I forget, past that. They just had all sorts of kids. And the world grew at that point. From that point, everybody that's born, everybody that has taken breath on this earth, every baby who's been aborted, everybody, every person that can be called a person, whether they're born or not, everyone that has a spirit or a soul, and God knows when that happens. We believe it happens at conception. We believe when the sperm and the egg come together, you get a soul and you are a person. Some people say, nah, that's not true. Ah, we'll see at the end of time. God will explain all that. We can have a class on when life begins and God will explain it because he knows. But everybody that can be called a person, everybody that is considered alive, will be caught in this net some, um, uh, it, was a, it was a Puritan who said that uh, this net 
is the net of God's sovereignty. That God throughout time is going to collect everybody. You can't hide in a cave in the Sierras. You can't get in a submarine and hide from God that way. Nobody on earth is going to hide from this net. Everybody who can be called a body, everybody will stand before God in some fashion and they will be judged. And at the judging will be the sorting. And the sorting will be you either go to heaven or you go to hell. Everybody who's created, Satan and his angels are going to go to hell. Okay, that's in the book of Revelation. They are thrown into hell right at the end of the book of tribulation. That doesn't look like a metaphor. It looks like a literal thing that Jesus will grab him by the collar and throw him into the lake of fire or something. I think it'll be amazing to see the final battle and how Jesus dispatches Satan. But there's no third choice. There's no second chance. There's no... Uh, Appeal. There's nothing you can do to say, well, I don't want to go here. I wish to do something else. And so the Bible is very clear, as I've said, about what hell is like. And John MacArthur is one who has done a summary of the uh, attributes of hell. And there are four basic attributes of hell. The first is a place of constant torment, misery, and pain. Some have said, well, I want to go to hell because all my friends will be there. Okay? Maybe all your friends will be there, but they'll be tortured too. You won't be able to do things. There's not going to be any stores where you can buy alcohol or where you can buy drugs, where you can do whatever you want. There'll be no building materials for you to build a house or a mansion to live in. You are in a dark place. You are in a place of great heat and great fire. There is a parable, the rich man and Lazarus, which we shall look at in detail when we get there and we can take the rich man's statements of absolute truth because he is in hell talking about what he is experiencing. It is a place of torment. It is a place of fire. Every time the Bible talks about hell, it is always a place of fire. Okay? How you are in that, we do not know. We'll speculate a little later when we get to that other parable. Uh, Revelation calls the final resting place a lake of fire. I cannot imagine a lake of fire. I do not know what that means. I do not know what it means to be thrown into the lake of fire. But people who reject Christ today will be thrown into the lake of fire. It will be a torment of body and soul. There is a bodily resurrection. When Jesus talks about the resurrection, when Paul in 1 Thessalonians talks about the resurrection... The resurrection is always bodily. You re your body is resurrected. Those who have uh, died before this time, uh, the best guess is that they are in some kind of intermediate state. 
They don't have their eternal glorified body yet because the resurrection hasn't happened. The order of the resurrection is that those who have died in Christ will be resurrected first. And if you are here when that happens, if you happen to be by Chapel of the Chimes, you will see bodies come out of the grave and go up into the sky. It will be a bodily resurrection. Then Christians who are left alive during this time will be raptured. We will be bodily taken up into heaven without dying. Christians are the only ones that have the opportunity, if we live during the end times, to go to heaven without dying. The third thing that happens is the resurrection of the unsaved, the resurrection of the damned, the resurrection of those who rejected God, who rejected Christ, and they will be resurrected right into judgment. The Christians are resurrected into the wedding feast. We are raptured into the wedding feast. The wedding feast is where we are introduced, as it were, to uh, Christ, the church. We are Christ's bride, is how it is talked about in the New Testament. And we will be introduced to Jesus Christ bodily for the first time at that. And we will have our glorified bodies, while those who do not believe in Jesus Christ will be resurrected to a judgment seat of God, and when they are thrown into the fire, their body will not die. Their body will not be burned up. It will be physical pain. It will be emotional pain. It will be mental pain. It will hurt your soul to be judged forever by God. Some people have said, that what the lake of fire is, is it is the fire hose of God's wrath against the people who have rejected him for all eternity. Third, uh, there will be varying degrees of torment. There are a couple places in the book of Hebrews, in 1 Timothy, where there's an indication that if you did not know a lot, if you did not understand who Christ was, your uh, punishment will be less than those who fully understood who Christ is and hated him or rejected him. In the book of Hebrews, it is saying, if all you had was the Old Testament law, and you followed it to your best, and you didn't accept Christ, your punishment will be less than someone who walked with Christ, who saw Christ, perhaps Caiaphas, okay, the high priest, Pilate, who saw Christ, who said, yeah, you're there, and hated him and partook of the crucifixion. There are... Varying degrees of punishment in hell, but none of them are nice. None of them are good. None of them are better than the other. Okay? You do not want to go to hell. You do not want to be in hell. You do not want to be under God's wrath. 
Also, the, the punishment of hell, the glory of heaven, these are predetermined, if you will. What I mean by that is you've got 70 some odd, 80 some odd, 90 some odd years, some number of years that we do not know to make your choice of heaven or hell, of Christ or yourself, of God or Satan. You have opportunities here and people who have made that choice and who have died a thousand years ago. Okay, there were Christians on earth a thousand years ago, and they died. Okay, their fate is sealed. They are in a place where it is clear they are not going to go to hell. And so it isn't that when God judges individuals, he is discovering evidence. No witnesses are called. The book of Revelation says the books of your life are opened. Some people speculate that it's everything you ever did, everything you ever said, every thought you ever had, okay? That it is collected by God's great sovereignty into some form of a book. Some people have said, well, it'll probably be a movie because that'll be better to watch. Got to watch a movie of your life. Somehow there will be a review of your life and you will be judged on every thought you have, every action you did, every word you spoke, okay? Bible is clear that these are the three things that are everything you did. These are the things that God will judge you on. Because if you lived a perfect life, if you had a perfect thought life, if you did everything perfect according to the Old Testament, read through the Old Testament, did everything that's in there, you did, in fact, Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul every moment of every day, okay? If you did that, then God would say, hey, got nothing on you. You can go to heaven, okay? You don't need Christ at that point. But we can't. Nobody can. It's built into us to fight against God. That is how we are. And so everybody is going to be condemned by their book. Okay, And everything that's in their book happened during their life on this earth. No new evidence is going to be presented at the judgment seat. Then there's a second book opened. And the second book is called the Lamb's Book of Life. It is called the Lamb's Book. It is called the Book of Life. These are all the people that have accepted Christ because if you've accepted Christ, your life doesn't matter. Your life is meaningless because it is forgiven. Christ's blood washed your life clean. And my thinking, this is just speculating, that if God's already wiped out all of my sins, then my book's going to be about a paragraph. Okay? <laughs> and in that, Christ will say, no, I died for that person. And then you go over here to glory, if your name is not found in the book of life, then you go to the lake of fire. And everything in that judgment seat is determined in this life. We figure out what direction we're going to go, and then that seals our fate.
And then lastly, the torment will last forever. It is eternal. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you get to spend eternity in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and then a couple more evers after that. You get to spend forever in heaven and it will be exciting, it'll be fun, it'll be joyous, there'll be plenty to do, it'll be a great time for all eternity. You will never get bored. Guarantee it. And that is decided in this world. And the other half is that people who rejected God will go to hell, and that hell is forever. People have said, well, it needs to be a thousand years, and then you paid for your sins. If you read the Old Testament law about how sin works, there is nothing a person can do to pay for their own sin. That's why I can't save myself. Okay? If I could die for myself, then I could jump off a cliff, die for my sins, and go to heaven. Okay? But the Bible says you can't die for your own sins because you are a sinful sacrifice. And if you are a sinful sacrifice, you cannot pay for your own sins. I cannot die for your sins. Because I am a sinful sacrifice. The only way, that's why we say Christ is the only way, because he's a sinless sacrifice and he can die for our sins. And so people who are against Christ, who are anti-Christ, and are put in the lake of fire will never get to the point where they have paid for their own rebellion and paid for their own sin and so it has to logically last forever. And the Bible says there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The wailing is the crying out to God, saying you're sorry, saying you didn't mean it, saying you want a second chance. The gnashing of teeth is then cursing God because he doesn't rescue you from the lake of fire. Now if you get to the end of this parable, Jesus says something very interesting. He says, have you understood all these things? And what all these things are is all of Matthew 13, all talking about the kingdom of God. And they said in unison, yes, they were lying. They had no clue what Jesus was saying because as things progress, they said, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. And so it's good stories, and they probably understood, oh yeah, this is about fishing, this is about planting, but they didn't understand what Jesus was saying until they had the Holy Spirit, until Christ rose from the dead. But they try to play along, and they try to say, yes, and then Jesus says, therefore every scribe, people who know the Old Testament, who has been trained of the kingdom of heaven, who has been saved, an Old Testament expert who has been saved, they will be able to bring out of their house treasures that are new or old. As a biblical example, that would be somebody like Paul, an expert in the Old Testament, but now saved. And so he can write the book of Romans. He can write to Timothy twice. He can write to these people who are Jewish and say, this is what God did in the Old Testament. This is what God is doing now. And isn't it great? I can give you old arguments. 
I can give you new arguments. And the more we're the more that we're soaked in the Word of God, the more that we understand the Word of God, the more we can witness against every argument. We can witness against every problem that people seem to find with Jesus Christ. And so the kingdom of God is real. And if you reject the kingdom of God, the lake of fire is a real place. And everybody who's ever been born will go to one of those two places for all eternity. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I do thank you for this. I do thank you that you will put into our heads the idea that we are saved from hell. And in doing so, we are saved to eternal life. We are saved into the presence of you for all eternity. Lord, we praise you for that. And as your blessing upon this time, we ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.